Hey there, it's Jeff MacArthur. Here's what's on the podcast today. Aaron O'Toole wins the conservative leadership race. How COVID has changed Toronto's rental market. And online shopping saw a huge increase, but can we keep it going? All that coming up. So let's get to it. Of, of himself and the former finance minister. So um, I think that uh, this prorogation uh, is Justin Trudeau trying to figure out exactly when the timing of the next election is. And I think he wants it sooner rather than later. So that task is going to be a big one for Aaron and the rest of the party getting ready for the next election. Okay, we've set a new record. I think we're at least 10 minutes into the conversation until We Charity, till the We Charity scandal uh, was raised <laughs> and came up. So, uh, Dan, how much do you expect O'Toole, of course, to be uh, stumping on that, talking about that? And what kind of leader do you expect Aaron O'Toole to be? Will he be far more in the face of Justin Trudeau than Andrew Scheer was, who, of course, was a criticized for, for maybe not doing enough of that? Well, no, I'm, I, I'm not sure that, about that characterization. I mean, Andrew Scheer was pretty aggressive in his attacks against uh, the prime minister. We, we can remember how he performed in last election's debate, uh, really trying to uh, put the prime minister on his heels and come at him quite aggressively. And really that fell flat. So it's a question as to whether or not Aaron O'Toole wants to engage in that strategy, uh, particularly when you look at uh, the approval numbers that the prime minister has uh, in his favor right now, given his response to the pandemic over the last few months, uh, given the kind of programs they rolled out that have been massively popular, is that really the critique that conservatives want to go with? Last night, Andrew Scheer uh, said spending money on social programs, uh, it was the wrong move. And I think most Canadians would disagree with that. And so it's it's a real question as to what kind of conservative party Aaron O'Toole is going to try and present to Canadians in the next election. I can imagine he needs a lot of time to be able to figure that out, uh, to decide what the Conservative Party now stands for in the 21st century uh, and, and what they're going to be presenting uh, to, to voters, uh, because obviously people were interested in, in buying what they were selling last time. And so I imagine the nightmare scenario for, for Aaron O'Toole as he goes to bed tonight is an election in September. Well, that brings me to my uh, final point. Uh, Jenny, first to you on this. Uh, O'Toole's first appearance in the House as leader will likely be the throne speech, which, of course, is a confidence vote. Do you expect the Conservatives to try and force an election? Do they want one sooner rather than later under Aaron O'Toole? Well, I think the, the, the only party right now that's, that wants uh, or in, has indicated they want an early election is Justin Trudeau. And I think that they want that before the economic uh, ramifications of uh, come to light in terms of uh, in terms of COVID, uh, as well as all of the other uh, we scandals and and what have you. So uh, whether the conservatives uh, whether the conservatives will support the uh, speech from the throne, we'll have to see what's in the speech from the throne. Yeah, do you think that works, Dan? We heard that from Charlie Angus on our program last week when we had him on. Uh, he was here, uh, of course, saying that Bill Morneau and the Trudeau government uh, were the biggest uh, cons, had no uh, ethics uh, whatsoever, but we'll wait and uh, hear their uh, plan to see whether or not we want to work uh, with them. Uh, can you do both of those things, do you think? Uh, call somebody out for the lack of ethics, but uh, want to hear their plan and be willing to work uh, with them? Or do you think that the Conservatives really kind of in this case, particularly with the likes of Pierre Polyev so out there uh, on the We Charity scandal, that uh, they really are going to have to vote the throne speech down? Yeah, we'll, we'll see who shows up uh, to vote on the, the day of the, uh, the confidence motion uh, around the speech, uh, speech from the throne, which the Prime Minister, as you mentioned, has indicated will come uh, almost immediately after uh, the speech is delivered. Uh, we'll see who shows up that day. I imagine New Democrats will probably find themselves... Uh, uh, you know, washing their hair or doing something else, uh, not able to make it there for the votes. They don't have to make that difficult choice. I think conservatives will uh, now start to uh, 
uh, try and reframe this, as we can see uh, that the prime minister is pushing for an election. I'm, I'm not sure that that would be fair, given uh, it's the Bloc Quebecois and the Conservatives who have already announced they'll be voting against the speech from the throne and, and would want an election. Uh, so I think we'll probably see some conditioning now to try and uh, reduce the tension on that. Uh, but as the momentum builds around this, you know, I worked in minority governments here in Ontario for uh, for, for a couple of years. And uh, when the momentum starts building towards those confidence votes and towards that election, it's hard to put the genie back in the bottle. Uh, and when you don't have leverage, when the when the third parties don't have the leverage of knowing that the government can't have an election or shouldn't wouldn't want to have an election, uh, it's difficult for that momentum to be stopped in any way. Yeah, Jenny, I'll give you a last word on all of this here. Do you think that the conservatives, they would rather just uh, sit back and wait for an election, let Aaron O'Toole get to be better known by the Canadian electorate and public and be there day in and day out holding Justin Trudeau's feet to the fire during question period? Well, I think we'll have to see. As I as I have said, I think the only party right now that is itching for an election is the Liberal Party of Canada. Well, they certainly are uh, heading the polls, uh, at least the uh, latest uh, polls, which is a surprise to uh, a few, that's for sure. Jenny Byrne, yeah, no. Dan Moulton, really, really appreciate both of you joining us this afternoon. Thanks so much. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you. All right. Jenny Byrne is the CEO of Jenny Byrne and Associates. Dan Moulton is with Crestview Strategy. Okay, next to the real estate file, according to a brand new report, the number of condos listed for rent in the city of Toronto spiked by some, how about this, 45% in the second quarter of 2020. And that's led to speculation that the pandemic has actually turned the city's rental market on its head and tipped the balance of power towards tenants. Phil Soper is the president of Royal LePage and joins us now for more here on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Hey there, Phil. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Glad to, to be here. Hey, glad to have you here as always. Uh, why have we seen such a spike in rental inventory? There's a number of uh, factors contributing to this. Uh, some of the some of the more unusual ones are a sharp rise in the number of first-time home buyers. So this is people who normally would be looking at uh, renting, young families, uh, singles, uh, with interest rates so low they've moved their sites away from renting an apartment to actually buying one. And then, so that's, that's lessening the demand. But then there are, then there are groups that have uh, disappeared altogether. Uh, immigration is ground to a heart halt. And our research shows that only about 15% of new Canadians purchase their first home. So uh, they, they tend to rent when they get uh, to town and they tend to rent condominiums. And finally, um, we have the short-term rental market, call it the Airbnb effect, which is essentially dried up in this time. And uh, that has put uh, those units from, say, hotel-like uh, websites uh, onto the longer-term rental market. So you're getting excess supply and lower demand. I guess it's worth noting, though, that we had one of the tightest rental markets, uh, well, probably in the world, uh, certainly in North America, coming into this very, very low vacancy, vacancy rate. So it's, uh, in many ways, a welcome change. All right. And how exactly is this, Phil? How is it changing things and tipping the balance of power now, maybe more towards tenants rather than landlords? Well, the big thing is when you have growing supply, there are more rental units uh, available. 
and uh, fewer buyers, in other words, fewer people renting, you've got higher supplier, lower demand, prices come down. And we did see uh, prices fall by about 5% uh, year over year, um, which is 5.6% uh, in the second quarter, which is material. You know, you're, you're, you're looking at, oh, five $600 per month um, on some units in the city. So this is a welcome relief for a lot of uh, renters in the city. Sure. And is it kind of turning things on its head, unlike when it comes to buying a home? I mean, we've all heard about the bidding wars that are going on and homes going for upwards of six figures more than uh, asking. Is this the reverse of that, that a lot of uh, rents, monthly rents, are uh, renters now playing landlords one off another and getting incredible deals kind of going the other way? <laughs> yeah, you know what? There is some of that. And if you look back at 2019, or even in the first quarter of 2020, before the pandemic, we had moved to a situation in the GTA where people who were renting units, renting units, not in, not looking to buy, but renting units were in bidding wars. So they'd come uh, upon a unit that they, they wanted to rent, and the landlord would say, yeah, put in your application, uh, we'll see how it goes. And people were actually offering more money for the units than they were listed for. These are rental. That's something we've experienced for years, of course, in our in our tight inventory major cities in Canada, um, and particularly in the GTA. Uh, but we hadn't seen it until recently be widespread in the rental business. And that has turned 180 degrees. And now people can shop around. They can say to a landlord, you know, I love your unit, but I've seen something that's slightly more affordable. Do you have any flexibility in your price? And, and of course, landlords uh, are adjusting prices to capture those good tenants. What do you believe might be the long-term implications here, Phil? Do you think that landlords might be putting some of their properties uh, on the block, that they might sell them if all of a sudden the uh, rental price doesn't make sense anymore, good business sense? You mentioned Airbnb. They have seen a downturn thanks to the pandemic. Maybe there's fewer of these kind of, quote-unquote, ghost hotels out there right now that uh, people are, uh, they can't rent these uh, units. And could this maybe make it a little more affordable to buy a condo in the city? Yeah, uh, good insight. Good insight. We're already starting to see that uh, with the with the, the much higher demand for entry level housing in the purchase side of the industry. We're seeing uh, landlords. Many of our landlords in Canada, by the way, aren't big institutions that own uh, huge towers. They are small business people that might own two, three, five units, and they treat those units uh, sort of like their retirement plan, their RSP, and uh, then they rent them out, maybe short-term, maybe long-term. They might rent to students. Of course, the foreign students' business has uh, dried up during the pandemic, and now they're saying, you know, there's big demand for these units. Um, I just feel uncomfortable carrying as many or carrying uh, this unit uh, I'm going to take advantage of the strong market. And so this 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 is a shift from rental stock into purchase stock. And and what tends to happen is these uh, these unevenness, uh, uneven markets, they even out. So we'll probably see a stabilization of the rental market in the fall. 
as uh, people adjust prices to the point where it becomes more balanced. And we'll probably see some of that pent-up demand on the purchase side satisfied. And some of the craziness we saw this summer in the purchase market, uh, real estate market, settling down uh, come October as well. I might answer my final question, which is how long do you expect this to continue? So you think that there's going to be over the next uh, little while this sort of evening out when it comes to uh, rental uh, prices will settle somewhere. Uh, Eventually, maybe, uh, who knows, a year or two uh, down the road, we might see those prices then balloon up again. Yeah, you know what? When the number of uh, people listing their apartments evens out, to be approximately the same as the number of people looking for apartments, that's when price changes flatten out. The, the cool thing is, for the first time in years, it will be at a lower level and people have been paying for rent uh, in this city uh, for years. So it, it, it's a pretty rare occurrence. So things should even out. And into uh, 2021, uh, with the expected normalization of immigration policies, the return of foreign students, uh, and that pent-up demand on the purchase side, causing people to say, yeah, okay, the deal, you know, it, it's time for me to, I'm just going to rent an apartment now and wait a little while while I save for my down, down payment. We'll see things uh, cool down. And I think 2021 will be more about a normal market rather than uh, an oversupplied rental, uh, rental market. All right. Did you see some of this coming, Phil? I mean, you got your finger on the pulse when it comes to the real estate business, uh, you know, in this city, in this province, in this uh, country. And the pandemic has changed our lives and businesses in so many ways, some predictable, some unpredictable. Did you see some of this uh, coming or is this just kind of another one of those unattended consequences of the pandemic? We revised our forecast. We didn't see the pandemic coming, of course, but the we did anticipate and forecast the way the purchase market has unfolded. So when, when we revised our forecast in March um, with the pandemic in mind, one of, the, one of the clues to what was going to happen was looking back to 2008, 2009 in the uh, the financial crisis, when the American financial system collapsed and there was the worldwide recession, the Great Recession, as we call it. In May of 2009, there was a surge in interest among first-time home buyers when the Bank of Canada lowered interest rates, and in fact, uh, interest rates around the world were. And we looked at that and we said, you know, there's a bunch of pent-up demand in Canada Uh, With interest rates dropping, and it's been two years since the federal government introduced the mortgage stress test, and that caused people to wait and and save down payments, we said, we think there's a bunch of pent-up demand for first-time home buyers, so we expect that home prices will actually rise marginally in the the summer, and that there will be a a uh, post-lockdown surge in demand. So we got that part right. The part that we didn't anticipate was the uh, complete drying up of immigration and uh, foreign students and the shutdown for so long of Airbnb. So we didn't anticipate the drop in in rentals. But, of course, hindsight is 2020, and it makes perfect sense in with the rearview mirror. Yeah, and in the year of 2020 exactly. as well. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Yeah. Phil? 
Appreciate the time and the insight as always. Thanks so much for joining us. You take care. Okay, some good. Actually make that great news for the retail sector in this country. StatsCan reporting that sales soared 23.7% in June to how about this, $53 billion. That means sales climbing above levels not seen since the beginning of the coronavirus pandemic. Deanne Brisbois is the president and CEO of the Retail Council of Canada and joins us now here on Global News Radio. Deanne, good afternoon. Hi. Hi, thanks for being here. First of all, just uh, how welcomed is this news by the retail sector? Well, that's why I just said hi, because I was enjoying your intro. Uh, it's, uh, it's great news. We were very concerned, as everyone was, about people going back to stores and uh, shopping for discretionary items. But certainly the June numbers are very positive and are indicating that consumers are feeling more comfortable going back into stores and also shopping online. So uh, it's uh, it's welcome news for a lot of retail businesses uh, across Canada. Yeah, $53 billion is an eye-popping number, to be sure. Was that better than expected or forecasted? It was better than expected, and uh, we, sus- we suspect that we're certainly crossing our fingers and are hoping that July and August numbers show increases as well. Uh, you know, they, they are down from the first quarter of 2020, about 13%. But we think that the numbers are strong also in June because there was a lot of pent-up demand. And as you know, in in Ontario in particular, most of the stores were closed for several months. And even when the storefronts were allowed to open, the malls had to remain closed. So we know that a lot of people had not purchased items that they wanted to purchase that still did not want to purchase those items online. So we suspect those numbers are strong because a lot of people wanted to go out shopping uh, to buy those goods in person. Um, Okay, I was going to ask you about that. What exactly is driving this? Is it the actual reopening of businesses as a lot of provinces moved on to stage two and stage three of the reopening? Or was it just pent-up demand? Was there a lot of online shopping? People hadn't bought things for a couple of months, worried about their jobs and what was going on in the world with the pandemic. And has that maybe eased a little bit? Uh, people were just really eager to shop. Yes. So so the, the, the latter part of your statement, it was very much because people, there was pent-up demand. Uh, most people were focusing on essentials during the height of the pandemic. They were concerned. They didn't know if they would have jobs, they didn't know if the government programs like wage subsidy and the likes would be extended. So when those programs were extended, when people started going back to work, when we saw the job numbers go up, there's actually no question that had a huge impact on people opening their wallets. And adding to that, you know, as, as that happened, there was pent-up demand. During the pandemic, as I said, a lot of folks were focusing on home, on food, essentials, uh, the backyard, uh, renovations, but on on very little uh, other items. So we really saw that starting to climb in May, but certainly exploding in June. I want to drill down on a couple of areas and ask you about them. Uh, First of all, the uh, motor vehicle and uh, parts uh, departments, uh, if you will, or that sector, it's up more than 50%, uh, close to actually 54% uh, in uh, sales. 
Does that surprise you and surprise the retail industry that car sales are up that much, considering that most people have been doing a lot less driving? No, I, we we weren't surprised. In fact, we spoke spoke to uh, uh, a lot of folks in the auto sector, and they confirmed what you mentioned earlier on a pent up demand. Uh, a lot of people we had been thinking of getting a new car. So add that to the fact that uh, low financing costs, and so that makes it easier to afford and lots of good deals. So all of those, in fact, help bring those numbers up. So, But in most cases, uh, the auto dealers we spoke to said that it was very much pent-up demand, and second is because of, uh, of low uh, at the low cost of carrying uh, a new car. And so those uh, made it extremely attractive. So they were ex- expecting it, obviously, um, uh, happy that they saw it happen. But, uh, yes, it was expected. The other uh, category I wanted to ask you about, which I think is somewhat surprising, is clothing and accessories. They posted, mm-hmm. how about this, just over 142% gain in the month of June and again, is that surprising considering there's a lot of people still working from home and attending meetings uh, by Zoom and not going into the office, that uh, clothing is up that much? Well, I, the first thing I'll say is amen, uh, because if there's one sector that has been um, challenged, it is the apparel and fashion category. But no, again, we were hearing from our merchants uh, in different parts of the country and small and large saying that even though people were changing their lifestyles, and as you say, you know, you're doing video conference calls, you're wearing a shirt, but you're probably wearing shorts with that shirt. So people are buying differently. But what has really pushed those numbers up is the fact that we've had uh, great seasonal weather. So, and as people started going out, so even though they may not have been going to work, they were socializing more. They were feeling more comfortable. And as you know, in most regions of the country, they increased uh, the number of people that could, in fact, gather. And so that made a difference. So people started to go out and they started buying more clothing. They had held back. So there was some pent up demand. Uh, but, um, you know, it's obviously absolutely good news. We suspect we'll see that for the next couple of months as well. Yeah, for those just tuning in, $53 billion worth of sales, retail sales in the country for the uh, month of June. Just finally, Dan, what does this mean for the retail sector when it comes to their viability, the viability of stores, and of course, uh, what it means to workers and their jobs? Well, it, it is key. I think that we uh, we don't always realize how big the sector is. It is, in fact, the largest private sector employer. It is one of the employees that is now hiring the largest number of employees in the digital and online um, sector of the industry. So there's a lot of growth. If that sector doesn't grow, that sector cannot uh, create new jobs and support the jobs that existed pre-COVID. So it's extremely important. And as you know, uh, over 75% of our businesses are independent businesses. They're in our local communities. They hire our kids. They support uh, the charities in the community, the sports team, and the like. So it is, uh, it's extremely important for them 
to be viable because it's, they are part of an important ecosystem within our communities and the economy. So uh, l- watching uh, consumers go back to shopping and spending on discretionary items is extremely important. Sure. Just finally, uh, how on edge are some of those business, businesses you just mentioned when it comes to a second wave? Just how detrimental would that be if we see a second wave in this country of the coronavirus? If we go to a second wave and we're start and governments decide to go back to phase two, phase one, that may be the end for some of the businesses that have been struggling throughout the pandemic. It will be devastating, especially for small to mid-sized businesses that may not have the cash on hand to survive a second wave. So it is important for all of us to be very careful to wear face coverings and to respect social distancing because that will help all of us get through the recovery and get through it faster. For sure. Happy to have you on, uh, Deanne, and happy to report uh, these numbers, which is uh, great news for the retail sector. Thanks again uh, for joining us. And thank you for inviting me. It was a pleasure. And that's our podcast for today. Don't forget to catch the Jeff MacArthur Show weekdays from 1 to 3 here on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto.